Okay, fine. I'll go again. I'll go again. <sighs> Shut up. <laughs> this week, we are talking about whether or not businesses should take a position on social issues. And we are talking about why businesses shouldn't have their customers forced to call their Wi-Fi networks stinky. That's right. All right. Nick's with me in person. Let's get stuck in. All right, welcome to Insights as a Service. We're in the same place. Hello, Nick. Hello. It's Hello. rare. It is rare. We're in a little little space where all of our germs are just together and the rest of the office is safe. They um, are amalgamating into a super germ. So. Who who got who sick first? Don't know. Not me. No, not me. Uh, I think it was probably Merrick. Um, yeah, probably Merrick on that one. Yeah, who a lot of you will not have met but uh, or heard of. He's new. But anyway... Um, actually, let's start with that. Let's just start with the fact that everyone in the whole world's sick and doing business is hard right now. Yeah, it generally is. Not just everyone's sick, but you've also got school holidays. You've got pilots canceling flights, not pilots, but airlines mm. due to stuff shortages. The whole world, business travel, engaging with people is just yep. really difficult at the moment. It is. Um, I think everything is delayed. All projects are delayed. It's hard to get from A to B. You found that the other day. You were flying down to Sydney. Sydney from Coolangatta and ended up flying out of Brisbane the next day at 8.30 to get to a 9 a.m. meeting in Sydney. That was punishing. <laughs> um, I had a, well, a, my bag got lost between Gold Coast and Auckland. Um, it was in Sydney that it got lost, but that took a day longer to arrive. First time in I don't know what 15 years of traveling regularly that that's happened to me. Yeah. Um, and my friend, he was just flying from Christchurch to Dubai. He had his first flight canceled because of COVID related staff shortages and then had to have a 14 hour stopover in Sydney. I'm seven flights in to July um, and uh, or August, I guess when this comes out, but in mm -hmm. July, seven flights in and one has been on time. I actually read something today. It said that, that the Australian airports are the worst in the world for flight cancellations and delays at the moment cancellations definitely um but everyone was saying like you know, get to sydney airport super early um security is crazy it's nuts and maybe that's just international mm. but we were through uh, sydney domestic security in record time faster than going through wellington domestic yeah. airport that doesn't seem to be the issue here in Norway. It's not like that the actual fundamentals of getting through security and all that yeah. stuff is a problem it's just the fact there's no air crews yeah I mean, we're just we're just dropping like flies. I mean, we've just seen it in our own office just the amount of people um, who day in day out, even if it's not COVID, now, and I think that's the thing is like it's if it's not COVID, it's just some horrible strain of flu or yeah. some other weird 18th century disease that we haven't had for ages. Um, or just people being tired and <laughs> just needing a kind of mental break. That's probably true too, because the more other people are off, the more strain there is on the people that are still there. Which, you know, that's a really interesting point in itself, just burnout. It compiles. And, you know, the back in New Zealand, uh, unlike here where it's been sunny the last few days, it's just been weeks and weeks of rain and grim weather. Um, and that definitely takes a, a, a massive mental health toll. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what it means for most of us, I think, is the people who aren't sick work harder, things take longer to do, mm. projects are getting delayed, and there's just more cancellations, like the amount of meetings we've thought we were going to have we're supposed to have a guest with us on the podcast today. Sick. Um, Same as so, yesterday. Sick. So yeah, I guess just everyone who is uh, dealing with that at the moment, running a business, particularly in tech, uh, given that's who listens to this, I think, uh, um, you know, um, you have our sympathy and empathy. All right. Well, that's enough of first world problems then. <laughs> um, although 
no, yeah, it's definitely first world problem. That's okay. I was going to try and, you know, uh, sort of not take all of that, but yep, fair. You know, think, um, think 12 months ago though, and 12 months ago we were Delta, couldn't fly anywhere, borders were shut again. So yeah. it's a privilege to be able to fly internationally and, and domestically with relative ease again. So, That's true. You know, but you know, put it in context. In context. True. But you know, the other thing is everyone's excited about traveling yeah. and the amount of, um, we were talking about this with um, Harriet, weren't we, about the networking um, scene just opening back up. There's a million things to go to, yeah. but they're also just massive germ fests. Like we had a, a work event, uh, I want to say two weeks ago, I'm losing track of time, but something like that. Yeah. The amount of people that were crook the following week from that, and it wasn't all COVID, there was just just germs. General sickness. Yeah. Um, it's it's a risk um, and it's a, it's a calculated risk, I guess, but there's that genuine desire to reconnect with people almost at whatever cost. Um, and, and that point where businesses just need to move forward. True. They just can't keep their keep their staff in bubbles anymore. Yeah. Having said that, so we were almost starting to phrase it like uh, when we were like our PNC team and and just us uh, as a management team, we were like, um, COVID's in the in the past now, so it's in the it's in the rearview mirror. Um, you know, we've got to we've got to get on with work, but it's really not. It's no. it's just we it's here. It's it's here to stay. Almost it feels like, and we just have to kind of just take it on the chin and get on with it somehow. Yeah, it, it, absolutely, and. My experience over the last three weeks is, is Australia is very much in that it's the behind us category right. com- comparative to New Zealand, which it, you, know, you still feel like it's in the community more. There's a lot more mask wearing. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot more signs and posters and ads and, and things still up. So I think it definitely depends what country you're in um, as to your, your experience currently with, with that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's it's an interesting space. that There's some people who are just um, just – we're facing the same problem. There's this massive spike. And two years ago, we, we shut up shop for this exact same thing, mm-hmm. basically. But now it's almost just politically so unpalatable that despite health experts saying, should be wearing a mask, the politician's like, yeah, but I'd really like to get reelected. So maybe, hmm, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get ourselves uh, taken off Spotify, we better move on. Um, so probably a good segue into uh, company <laughs> positions on politics and uh, social issues. Oh, actually, good good call. All right, let's talk about that. So, um, Kaseya bought Datto. A lot of our listeners will know that. We've got um, some people that are big Datto fans. I know a few of them. I've also met people that love what Kaseya do. Um, I know some people that are on the advisory board for Kaseya in America as well. That's all good, but they're very different companies. Mm-hmm. Kaseya bought Datto. Um, have you, in your past life, as in working at an MSP, had much to do with Datto? Not with Datto. So um, before they moved up Autotask, um, I was a big Autotask shop. So mm. that was quite, quite cool. But I loved their products yet, um, even in their very early days. And by early days, I'm talking 13. <laughs> so um, what's his name? Uh, the Cola. I think oh, I pronounced right. that right. Their, their CEO. So he sounds like an interesting guy. They had a town hall over in the US with all the Datto staff. And he basically got up and just swore his head off. and. I don't think he handled the questions as well as he could have, but it was really clear there was this clash of cultures, right? There were these um, uh, people who are used to having a company that they could sort of al- sit behind with aligned values and and felt that they were also given certain benefits and entitlements that made them feel, you know, um, I guess part of a bigger purpose and, and very much on board. Um, Kaseya has a, a firm rule, which is no position on any issue, period. Doesn't matter uh, what it is. We're not for or against it. That's not our job. Our job is to provide tools to MSPs. It's just a service, no standard, no comment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think he specifically brought out things like George Floyd, um, Pride Month. Uh, he just said, 
not for or against. I have no, well, we as a company have no stance on that. And so that just got me thinking, like, should companies take positions on social issues? I, I think it depends on the industry that you're in. And if you really know your customer, can you can have a position because it probably aligns with your giant customer base and you're not going to you know, bleed business um, by, by coming out and saying something you know, contradictory to, to what, you, what your market wants. Um, but I also think the other, the other element in there is, you know, your shareholders kind of expect you to now. They, they want to shop around for that. You know, do you have that climate, you know, perspective in your business? You know, are they not raging capitalists? Um, you know, th- those kind of things all pop up now. And But how do you, so in a really divided world, I mean, doesn't matter which democracy mm. you go to, um, Australia is no different, New Zealand is no different, America is no different. You've got ballpark 55-45, 60-40 type split. So whatever position you take, you're almost guaranteed to piss off borderline half yeah. of your market base. Yeah, I think you do. But again, you can't be going to the extremities. I think that's the key is there needs to be a controlled message with a justification around it rather than going, our position is this, no comment on the rest. It's the, it's the justification. Why is your position that? Because all our employees believe in net X or, you know, we surveyed most of our customers and they and our employees all believe in this. So that's what, that's where we stand as a company mm. and we want to take that forward. Um, that's fair. Yeah. If it's research driven and you've, you've got your finger on the pulse of yeah. what your clientele resonate with and you want to further align with them and be a brand of choice for more than just, you know, price point or product, but also purpose, mm. then that's fair. I think what really annoys a lot of people, um, and, you know, I'll just say annoys me is when it doesn't come across as um, genuine. Yeah. So, it's, and, and I see a lot of that with things like um, Pride Month um, or you know certain history months in the US where it's, well, from this date to this date, we're going to change some logos, but it's almost like ticking a box rather than actually doing anything to, to back that to up. To promote it or put yeah. funding towards you know, awareness and, and, and all those kind of other hmm. campaign avenues. Yeah. But I just, yeah, so for me, that's not super... Um, super genuine it's disingenuous and i think what so an example of a of a i guess a social stance that works well and often it starts because the company itself is going we're building a company around this purpose would be like say zambreros where you know each um meal bought is a meal donated and you can see the clock ticking or that the ticker going up number of meals provided and um i'd be surprised if anyone was against that to be honest i mean it seems like a pretty reasonable thing to do but it's a great example of a social cause and a business being entwined to the point that there's no distinction between the two. And, and that's great. And I know there's a couple of companies in, in New Zealand that also do, do similar to that. Um, but then you go to an event and then they market the event with having these lunches that do that thing. But is that to tick a box? Because it makes them, you know, that's where you, you, you sometimes go, are you just doing that to attract more people to it or right. you know, give that feel-good value to it? And, and I think that is then when you have to go, well, what's the company hosting this event that's putting on this lunch? You know, just, do those values genuinely align with that? And sometimes you you probably go, they're just taking a box. But mm. but there's some causes, I suppose, that are just unambiguously good. Giving yeah. food to people who otherwise are struggling yeah. for that. So it's like, even if it's a little bit self-serving of this company to sort of hook us in with this, it's like, I'm happy to just let that ride because, you know, if it's a good fit for me anyway, I'm going to just... It, it's Somewhere a good down the road, there will be a positive outcome from it regardless. Yeah. But I think going back to the recruitment piece though, mm. like there's a lot of millennials, a lot of um, 
younger people coming to the workplace that, that particularly in, in this record high or record low unemployment, I was going to say high employment, either way it works. Point is, there's a lot of people that can choose where they work at the moment and those people want to feel something, uh, part of something bigger. If you don't take a stance on anything, it's pretty bland. It's very vanilla, you know? So what are you working towards? There's a lot of, you know, you said millennials there before, but millennials are getting old now. Mm. Like it's really Gen X is is what's coming into the workplace. Yeah. um, Which makes me feel extra old. yeah. At this point, I'm suddenly realizing that. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, you're, you're a millennial. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I'm a yeah. millennial. Um, but yeah, that's 1996. And um, millennials are 81 to 81 onwards, aren't 81 they? 81 to 96. Yeah, because they just miss out, which annoys the shit out of me. But anyway, yes. Yeah. So, you know, and again, that's a whole different perspective of, of what people's beliefs and values are. But those are the ones that are coming into your business. Those are the decision makers of the future. Mm. Um, those are your future management teams. Um, and making sure, you know, you're getting the right people on the bus and in your business, um, you, you should have an answer to that as a company, I feel. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on, on quality talent. Because I, I suppose the, the other argument for businesses having some sort of a stance on social issues, and I think particularly, particularly climate change or, mm. or sustainability maybe is a broader focus, is a lot of people feel like governments just aren't up to it. They're paralyzed by just ineptitude in many cases. So where, where governments fail, businesses lead. The problem with that is do you want to have businesses framing, I guess, um, the conversations we have? You know, there's a lot of powerful tech companies that, you know, can determine what shows when we search things. Do you want to leave? I don't know. It, it, it's someone's got to lead the sustainability piece. It seems to be businesses at the moment um, uh, where some of the major economies aren't really yeah, driving and, it. And I think it's great that business is driving that kind of element as well. Um, and more and more people are asking for that exact kind of information as well in RFPs mm. um, and any kind of tender or response. You know, you, you do have to go in going, I need an answer to that. I need mm. to know, you know, what the, the gender split is across staff. I need to know how many indigenous people I've employed. I need to know what my company's position is on sustainability and to have answers to that. But the sad thing I think is with inflation, with a lot more pressure on businesses at the moment, how much of that stuff where in the last three or four years They've made, made, done a lot of work towards sustainability. They've self-funded that out of their pockets. And what's, you know, are we going to see that contract and some of these kind of good values and these, and these nice-to-haves drop off as a result? That's true. I think um, your, what's important to your business, what are your core values are tested in times of recession mm-hmm. when, you know, um, yeah, that is actually going to be really interesting to see what, what, what sort of changes around the edges. But I think going right back to case A and Dado, right, it's there's a real cost to mergers and acquisitions if there's not cultural alignment. Yeah. Because whatever you think you're buying is ultimately founded on its people. And if those people aren't really digging what you're all about, you're gonna lose a lot of them. Yeah. You're gonna get a lot of pushback. There's a lot of places people can can get pretty vocal about your business. And I imagine that, you know, a lot of people chose Dado for a specific reason as customers as well. So you know, there's a real risk of um, diminished value in what you've acquired yeah. if you're not aligned. So, yeah, it seems like that wasn't factored in at all in this one. Yeah. Okay, and I guess to wrap that up, uh, to when it comes to values, they have to be genuine. It works better when the company was founded around whatever value you're, you're or, or social issue you're espousing. And, yeah, I don't know. It, it's... it's um. 
it's going to be harder to attract staff. I, I do think that is part of it. People want to be part of something bigger than just a paycheck. Yeah. So I think there is value in it. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting space. Uh, so uh, I'll leave it there. All right. Um, I was actually going to talk about uh, 5G spectrum in New Zealand, which is kind of a boring subject. But the, the key thing there is that um, uh, that uh, the New Zealand government hasn't yet set plans to do a 5G spectrum um, auction, but they're probably going to have to. Australia did it. They made about $700 million by doing it. Uh, there is some talk. There was a piece in the Herald by Chris Keel in New Zealand that talked about how uh, the, the satellite providers, primarily Starlink, are basically paying about $7,000 a year to use the, um, the millimeter wave spectrum they have access to. Not sure how much they use. Don't know enough about it. But off the back of that, you had a story about Starlink. And uh, we should talk about that because it's, it's more funny. It's and, uh, way funnier. So yeah. um, <laughs> we always like to follow, you know, kind of the community groups and, and user forums and things like that and kind of see what's going on in the world of tech. And um, there's this, this great one there that kind of ties on from the, the real bad weather that's been happening in New Zealand lately. And um, so bad weather in New Zealand, you live rurally, you're probably going to rely a lot on solar, but there's also the probability of having power cuts is a bit higher and the restoration time to get those sorted uh, can take a while. So especially in New Zealand's weather's been pus lately, right? Absolute pus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, um, going back there. So this is a Starlink user. Um, they had a power cut. Their router's um, been rebooted. It's come back, it's come back up online, but they can't get onto the, they can't get onto the internet and they're trying to work out what's going on. They're not seeing their usual Wi-Fi network displaying and they're going, what's going on? There must be a bug somewhere. So they go out, they take the dish down, they put the dish back up, they dig up the, ca- uh, the cable that's been run, put that back in, it's still going wrong, start kind of you know, working on their 4G to work out what's going, going right. And it turns out that uh, Starlink, in an effort to get people to change the Wi-Fi names on their routers, set the default to change to Stinky, um, but it only comes into effect when your router reboots. Uh, so obviously not being prepared for that, PowerCut took, took out the router, that rebooted, they got this new Wi-Fi ne- network now, they can't get on, no customer communications about it. Ugh. It's just a recipe for just... What was the driver to get people to change their Wi-Fi password? Uh, sorry, Wi-Fi um, is this idea, I guess. I have no idea, but I may... If you think about where they're going to be used, like surely they're not exactly next to each other, so yeah, it yeah. must be pretty obvious. So I, I don't know what the underlying driver was to, to move people to do that, but to change it to, to something silly like Stinky... Um, I don't think like like you, how many people roll out the the bog standard Huawei router for for residential customers of fiber and they all have you know boring name dash five n you know yep. or something generic like that and people just roll with it looking at yeah. any kind of apartment building you know it doesn't have to be super unique and cool people just have it connect once and deal with it so yeah that seems weird to me sit and forget kind of mentality around Wi-Fi these days. I'd love to know if um, if anyone else is is listening that has a Starlink connection, whether they've also had their, well, I guess, again, would have to reset to take effect, but maybe maybe give it a reset and see if it changes to Stinky. Um, that makes me think of the best Wi-Fi uh, names uh, or network names I've heard of. <laughs> have you heard any good ones you can remember? Oh, Pretty Fly for a Wi-Fi. That's the best, <laughs> hands down, hands down. Where were we, Remain? Where um, we found there was a Wi-Fi like SSID thing and it was a massive amount of swear words in French. Ah, oh, right. We were doing like a marketing shoot to get some sort of um, you know, unique imagery for our website. And yeah, the, the, the Wi-Fi, the place we're at was uh, fairly obscene French language. It was kind of weird. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a time back to that Starlink one though. It, it's absolutely key though, because that, that user took them a long time to work out that. And then, you know, you can't beat having good local support. 
someone to actually call and go, what's happened with my router? And they go, oh, sorry, we forgot to actually communicate that to you. Um, but yeah, here it is. So yeah, always, you know, it comes into your purchasing decisions as support. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, um, so yeah, Starlink, um, changing up some, some Wi-Fi names and also probably going to, uh, be part of a bigger conversation around spectrum mm. purchasing, uh, if there is an auction in New Zealand, uh, just back to that too. If the government does choose to go with a spectrum auction where the telcos have to pay a truckload of money for the was it 3.5 gigahertz, I think, in the 20, 26 gigahertz bands. It's like that's going to have to be passed on in a period of high inflation. Ouch. If they don't, I mean, it's 700 million roughly maybe that won't go um, you know, onto the bottom line, which is also kind of ouch, bit of a no-win situation. But I think essentially the telcos in New Zealand with mobile networks and some of the fixed wireless operators, um, you know, the likes of Lightwire, I'm not sure we've actually had too much to say in this space, but I know the... Um, wireless internet service providers association of new zealand has um sorry whisper yeah i just wanted to throw that out there no one knows what whisper is if i don't spell it out so um you know they uh, are getting pretty vocal about the fact that it doesn't make sense for some internet providers to have to pay quite significant amounts while satellite providers for some reason aren't the potential counter to that is um, is Starlink with a rural focus and perhaps the the wireless um, fixed wireless providers fulfilling more of a social um, sort of a social connectivity play mm-hmm. where you know they're filling a space that isn't provided by the big guys and there should be some sort of a, um, offset in terms of access to to five G spectrum as a result without any kind of formalized rebate I guess yeah uh, on that it's a it's an overlooked one there. Um, but the other thing that just jumped into my head really quickly was that the trend in telco is for selling your assets off into another company and then getting some private equity firm to come and buy them. I wonder if we'll see spectrum allocation go that same way mm. and ultimately lead to a far more open MVMO based uh, of, of operations down the road. I don't know. I think there's something in that. Yeah. Even in New Zealand back in the day when um, when we were looking at the whole UFB uh, structure where there were the, the providers around the place. Mm. I was a fan of the idea of a chorus esque um, wholesale only entity acquiring the spectrum and doing basically what you say yeah. to ensure fair and sort of ubiquitous access to the 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 bands that were needed to get you know the the right uh, mobile data um, uh, options to the right places. So I think that there is something in that. Yeah, I think we'll see that evolve over the next next decade. Yeah, I was going to say as well that uh, my Republic today announced that they've struck up that uh, MVNO deal with Vodafone um, with an unlimited only option. Um, their financials that were reported in, was it CRN? It was that report. I think it was CRN. Yeah. CRN, yeah. Um, did not look like they're operating off particularly thick margins uh, to say the least. Um, in fact, I think without some strong FX movements, yeah, without some strong FX movements, they would have had two consecutive years of, of relatively significant losses off a base of less than 30 mil. Uh, but anyway, it seems that, um, they've found a way, I assume to, to make some money off, uh, an MVNO agreement with, uh, with Vodafone. Mm. So that's relatively unusual in the New Zealand market. There's, you know, Vocus for years before buying two degrees, um, oh, sorry, Orc on New Zealand as they yeah. ended up being. They struggle to get any headway under an MVNO agreement. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you know the the other big players in the MVO space is obviously Spark, and and that's pretty niche still in terms of its its adoption within the smaller telcos. But Two Degrees was that that winner mm. from that. So maybe I don't know. Maybe Vodafone's trying to pull more people in at the moment. Maybe. 
Yeah. Oh, well, we'll see. Uh, now, the only other couple of things I had to talk about. One, just really quickly, we've been talking heaps about Zero Trust ever since I came back from the Zscaler conference mm. and we had Misaki join us um, uh, recently to, to talk about all things Zero Trust. But I just heard uh, a relatively good, I guess, analogy for Zero Trust and what it means. So uh, the the analogy goes something like this. You go into an office and you go to the front desk and you're given a card, you're signed in. And from that point, they say, hey, you're meeting with whoever is in room 22 and they just wave you off. And you can wander through that office and potentially even go to a connecting office and do whatever you want to do, including go into room 22, come back, give them back your card, leave. It's that lateral spread, right? It's that once you're in, you can really go wherever you want because you're trusted once you're in as opposed to zero trust being you go to the front desk, they say, cool, sign in, here's your card. Now here's the security person that's going to guide you to room 22, stay with you until you leave 22 and then walk you back to the desk and then you leave. So there's no lateral spread. It's you're not trusted really yeah. at any point you're in, but you can't go wherever you want. You're still not trusted once you're in. Um, and that to me kind of explains it. It, it really yeah. is just a guided access. Yeah, that is absolutely the best analogy I've heard of it so far. Yay, look at me go. Cool. Also, uh, look at Jay Chadrigo. I just heard him say it. Anywho, uh, <laughs> thought I'd pass that on so that it all makes more sense. The other thing was that um, MBN is looking to renegotiate a special access undertaking with uh, what I assume is, is the ACCC, um, basically the Australian government. And while I don't have all the details, top of my head, definitely got COVID uh, brain, but uh, it was essentially a an inflation plus X type yeah. pricing model going forward. And it just aligns with what we've seen in New Zealand where all of the regulated bodies have an inflation or CPI related ability to increase prices. Um, you know better than me. What have we seen out of the three major carriers? Uh, the largest being about 5.9%. How long ago was that issued? Uh, so that was announced back in early June. Um, was it Chorus? Chorus, yeah, coming, okay. coming into effect in uh one, one October, uh, so not too far away. Um, but again, in, in New Zealand, they're, they're regulated to CPI only, not CPI plus X. Okay. Um, and the plus X is, I think, what's the the real scary part about about the MBN's proposal? Because mm. um, how big is X, <laughs> and what's the justification for it? It's probably well documented within this submission, but I don't have yeah. it handy. But I think the key thing is that whatever they've submitted, uh, Telstra hates because they came out um, all guns blazing. Um, end of last week, start of this week. But either way, uh, basically saying mismanaged, uh, poorly structured, you know, they need to find additional revenue is not our problem. Every issue yeah. that they've, they've had over the last few years. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Comms Day, I was listening to their podcast, good podcast, if mm. anyone um, wants to find another um, industry one to listen to, Comms Day Live um, with Graham Lynch. He was saying and making the point that uh, MBN's just managed to raise, um, I think, a couple of billion dollars because the government back, they've got a near sovereign nation status of, of um uh debt rating um and i think it's double a and uh, they have a competitive advantage just from that against you know private market operators yeah. um so or, you know public entities whatever but the point is non-government backed entities um so yeah you can see why telstra starts to get a bit annoyed uh with the advantages um and and are pushing back hard on this this um uh, updated special access undertaking submission. Right, rightly so. I mean, I know we were a bit hard on Telstra sometimes mm. in this podcast, but get on them this time, I think. Yeah, push them back. Um, and you were making the point to me too, right, that um, I guess particularly with the New Zealand market, if your only ability to increase price points is related to CPI, CPI you're going to take the maximum for as long as you can. Yeah, 
absolutely. Um, and again, you can't really begrudge that because CPI isn't some made up number. The costs underlying their ability to provide the service, um, wage inflation is a real thing. We all know that. Yeah. So I get it. Um, at the moment, have we seen much movement in the New Zealand market uh, from other ISPs in terms of pricing? Uh, or have they not come into effect yet? I think some have just come into effect, some are similar later. Um, but not to that extremity. Um, most have gone to, to 5.9, which is kind of what it was back back then when they were all assessing it. Mm. Um, some of it uh, settled for a little bit lower, actually, which was, mm. which was nice. Um, but again, they've, they've taken that interpretation and not gone blanket 5.x over the whole product suite. Some have gone, actually, we revised that price point last year. We're going to hold that. Yep. We're going to do that for this product and that product. So it's not just a one-size-fits-all um, model. And that is actually quite nice and that has a bit more parity in it. And, and that's why you, know, you don't see so much market pushback in New Zealand as well. Okay, cool. All right, anything else you want to talk about before we take our um, snot-riddled faces away? And uh, uh, No, let's go grab a commuter train. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, can do. we are actually off. Well, I'm off to the airport, so... Uh, we'll see how that pans out for me uh, thanks Nick nice to catch up in person again for another podcast second time it, uh, it does flow better I gotta say when Definitely you're in the same does. spot um, and uh, yeah let's catch up again in a couple of weeks